0: Hello and welcome to God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and atheist dive into the best that sin has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the Gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm filmmaker and former costumed adventurer Giles Goff, and sadly, Phil can't be with us today. He's busy trying to teleport a telepathic tentacle being into the heart of Manhattan in order to bring about world peace. As you do. So instead, we have guest co-host...
1: Hi, I'm RS teacher and godlike non-linear being, Natalie Minnicka.
0: And today we're going to be looking at Watchmen. In particular, the HBO TV series that is a direct continuation of the 1986 graphic novel rather than the 2009 Zack Snyder film. So Snyder fans i'm really sorry you might be a bit disappointed on this one
1: (laughs) they're used to it yeah well i
0: I expect they will be boycotting me and uh, (laughs) and bringing about a social media campaign any minute now we'll be looking at dr manhattan's utopia on europa and why it's so difficult to have a relationship with a non-linear being whether it's dr manhattan or you know jesus natalie What did you think of this show?
1: I flipping love this show. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched it when it first came out. I love the fact that it is like, okay, there's this massive, huge Hollywood movie, um, which was a very famous adaptation of a comic book. We're not going to make a sequel to that thing that everyone's seen. We're going to make a sequel to the book, which probably quite a few uh, number of people have seen. And I love it.
0: Yeah, really gutsy. Like, Mm. we're going to make a sequel to a comic book that came out in 1986 (laughs) and you're just going to have to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? But I
1: also think you could watch that show having not read the comic or seen the film and have been okay. Like, they, they, they drip in the information that you need. So I think you could watch it having never read the book or seen the film.
0: Yeah. They're very clever with their exposition, I'd say that. Mm. I think this show is perfect. Mm. I really do. I I love the way that it has the guts to say, okay, the book was about nuclear annihilation, and we're going to make this one about race Mm. because deal with it
1: and I have to say I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that this was the way I learned about the Tulsa riots I'd never uh, heard about them before this is yeah. the way
0: a lot of us learned about the Tulsa massacre yeah the riots makes it sound quite well, polite fair
1: enough yeah like such an important event and yeah. we never hear about it and I, I think it's fantastic that this big budget sci-fi show is like hey guys this thing happened it's deeply yeah. problematic and we should probably talk about it 100%
0: And now, it's time to hear from a man who is nothing short of remarkable. As a child, he quickly learned his intellect far outstripped his classmates and even his teachers. At 17, following the somewhat suspicious death of his parents, (laughs) he inherited all their wealth but chose to give it all away to charity so that he could demonstrate the possibility of achieving anything starting from nothing. He then decided to retrace the steps of Alexander the Great, embarking on a pilgrimage of physical, mental and spiritual discovery... Today, he has attained that level of peak mental, physical and spiritual perfection. Many people call him Banger's smartest man,
2: but we just know
0: him as Matt
2: Heslop. Hello, it's Matt here for another Matt's Facts. This time, we're talking about Watchmen. Watchmen was published in 1986 originally as a miniseries that ran through to 1987 Created by Alan Moore, originally Watchmen was meant to feature some very different characters. In the early 80s, DC acquired the rights to certain comic characters belonging to Charleston comics and that was originally what Alan Moore wanted to use. That was what he proposed for. But DC decided they'd rather have something original and after much persuasion, Alan Moore actually agreed. So to give a bit of a basis on what each character was originally based on I'll go through the main first up the comedian now the comedian was surprisingly enough based on the peacemaker with a little bit of Nick Fury added for when he first appears as an older gent Rorschach was based on a Ditko character called Mr. A as well as DC's The Question whereas Night Owl was based on the Ted Cord version of Blue Beetle. Now, this was a very Batman-esque character at the time. The other big example is Dr. Manhattan. He's the main driving force between a lot of the things in Watchmen. And he was actually based on a character called Captain Atom, who's a very powerful, albeit not a scientist, but a military man who suffered a very bad experimental mishap. Now, when it was released, the thing which took it was, it took recent events, through the superhero genre, and went, what happens if these had happened, and caused other things not to happen? And thus we find ourselves in the Watchmen comics. Now in this world, we didn't have the Watergate scandal, which is one of the big ones. And the United States won the Vietnam War. But it also looms on the, what's going on with the Cold War. Now at this point, We're in the midst of it. In reality. But in the comic books. The country is edging closer and closer. Towards World War 3. With the Soviet Union. Now Moore did the entire series. In a nine panel style. Which is a bit different for the age. But he went into it with his classic groups. And told a great story. Non-linear. So the plot would jump. And time would jump. Locations would jump. And it was how the story came together. It linked slowly bits back to each other. Is what made it such a superb story. It was all these things together which made Watchmen such a great thing. It spawned several different spin-offs. There's been other comic book runs. Animated things. Even a TV show. The movie itself is superb. They took the same style and put it in. Even if Alan Moore didn't like it himself, which he's notorious for doing, I truly believe it is a superbly performed film. And for the main part, stays very true to its source material. The graphic novel has been listed in some of the 100 best novels of all time. Under certain lists, it was often said, and this was in a respective review, that Watchmen heralded the moment where comic books grew up. More did oppose this idea. However, there was a bit of truth in it. Comic books had always been quite lively and bouncy things. Yes, you had the odd dark storyline. But it did herald a time where comics went very dark. And pushed the limits of what they could. A lot of comics took quite a dark turn through it for a few years after that. And a lot of people put that down to... Watchmen and what Alan Moore accomplished it was something we hadn't seen similar before and it is truly superb if you've not read it please go out and read it I won't spoil the ending but I will say this the ending to the film is very different to the ending of the book that's all from me and I'll speak to you all soon for another Matt's Facts
0: so, now, those were Matt's facts. What did you think?
1: I am just always astounded at the the depth of that man's knowledge. He is a mm-hmm. walking Wikipedia article about comic 100%. books. Um, I found it really interesting about how it, it was originally... It wasn't meant to be original IP, that it was actually using uh, existing characters, and then they, they changed that. Mm. And I found it really fascinating how, like... The characters that Alan Moore created were kind of copying stuff that had already been there, um, and because yeah. when I when I think of Watchmen, I think of this as like astoundingly original idea, and it's funny to think mm-hmm. how much of that is actually based on pre-existing characters, even if it you know they change yeah. the names and the details.
0: Alan Moore's a funny one, isn't he? he you know because yeah. he. So Alan Moore For those of you that don't know If if we haven't talked about it If you don't remember what we mentioned in our Constantine episode He has a tendency to Completely and totally uh, Disregard any Adaptations of his work Mm. If you look on the credits for the show It'll say Based on characters co-created by David Gibbons And I almost feel a bit sad for him Because this show is as close to perfect As I feel you're going to get And it's like, dude, you're you're missing it. You know what I mean?
1: But I think with Alan Moore, if you look at some of the earlier adaptations of his work, so um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, famously terrible, mm. um, From Hell uh, got turned into a Johnny Depp yeah. film. I've I've read. I don't know if you've read From Hell. The it it is like trying to read the phone book. It is gigantic, and it is. But apart from the fact it's about Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. Bears, only the slightest resemblance to the movie. Right. So many of the things that he has written have been done terribly. And then when they started doing them well, it's like, he, I, I think he just kind of just had dismissed the whole thing. Because v for Vendetta was actually the very first comic book I read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read Watchmen straight oh, up. Oh, Yeah, I, I, I got into comics quite late. Yeah. Didn't I borrow Watchmen off you? I think so, yeah.
0: It was one of those things that I... I i remember reading it i'm not entirely clear how I, and when i read it i absolutely hated it really um, yeah this is we had a conversation about this and i love i loved the Zack snyder film mm. and i i hated uh, reading the book because it, i think that there's like so many things i was quite sweet and innocent when i was younger mm. i don't think i was ready to read it uh, mm. at that point also as you say, it's so so dense as a as a novel, there are a lot of times when it will take a, a detour and be like hey, look at this thing about a black freighter, and you're like okay, I'm desperately hoping for the relevance mm-hmm. I think the thing that struck me is obviously one of the key themes about it is the countdown on the doomsday clock, yeah. you know, to the countdown to nuclear annihilation, and there is a, a real um sense of nihilism in the book and in the in the film i think you probably agree and for me i feel like i can deal with that sense of cynicism and nihilism for the two-hour window that it takes me to watch a film yeah but when it's over a protracted period of time to read a let's be honest quite a thick graphic novel it's quite Mm. Uh, burdensome, it does wear you down a bit do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I get that I, I guess it depends a lot on what, how your literary tastes lean because um, I, I do quite have always leaned towards more sort of darker, grittier kind of depressing stories mm-hmm. and so when I read Watchmen and bearing in mind it was like the second comic book I had ever read I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I like this I had no idea that comics could be as deep as that. U- up until yeah. then, my only real interaction with comic books had been, um, you know, the Bino and the Dandy when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Showing my that age is, a bit there.
0: That is a big jump there to go yeah. from like Desperate Dan to Ozymandias.
1: <laughs> yeah, De- Dennis the Menace to um, the comedian. I mean, there's a. Yeah. No, I but mean, I those uh... two
0: characters are <laughs> heavily linked, aren't they? You know, the yeah. comedian is basically Dennis the Menace, but with more guns. Now it's time for. Finding the Faith in the film.
1: Ba, 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 ba. I, I was working on that. I, I can workshop Not some different even... ones for you if that if, if that yeah. Wouldn't work. You better, you better. <laughs> you just okay. Just,
0: I need you to get really good at this really quickly. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. I'll do. I'll do next one with more tassels.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so obviously, uh, I, I think this TV show is damn near perfect, which is. Quite a, a shock because I um, lost was a bit of a mixed bag, uh, which was mm. uh, one of the things that Lindelof uh, ran, and the leftovers I just thoroughly hated every minute of that show. Not seen that one, yeah. You're not you're not missing anything. Okay. So, firstly, I want to look at the uh, the presentation of Olympia, effectively the the sort of little world that Doctor Manhattan creates on Olympia, the moon of Jupiter, mm. where where it's this beautiful sort of stately mansion and it's sort of Mm. this kind of idyllic world and it's populated by these two characters. I should say this was filmed in Penryn Castle, which is in my hometown of Bangor. Big up
1: Penryn Castle!
0: Absolutely. Do you remember we went there once?
1: Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, I drove past it a few weeks ago when I was up in Bangor and I was like, yay, Penryn Castle!
0: So if we look at Adrian Veidt aka Ozymandias in his castle on Olympia we can see a man who is surrounded by people who are not quite people what's interesting is that this world is created by Dr. Manhattan for the benefit of Adrian Veidt and there's two things I think are interesting here firstly one could argue that this is a version of the Garden of Eden you know there's different direct references to a creator my Adam and my Eve you know but it's Created by somebody who is is Cynical of God and who doesn't trust His intentions So these characters work to a script They enact roles written by Veidt And he disposes of them as he sees fit In some cases just for his own Entertainment. Now, I don't Want to say that this is an atheist view Of God because I think that's a huge generalisation However, it is A really good example of what is God without love You know, Mm -hmm. and we could have a discussion about whether creating beings for your own personal reasons, e.g., your own happiness, is ethical or not. But to be frank, I think the metaphor on this one breaks down fairly quickly because the creator of this world and the ruler of this world are two very different mm. people, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because didn't uh, Doctor Manhattan created it for himself first, didn't he? And then mm. he realized it wasn't uh, wasn't exactly what he wanted or intended and uh kind of just handed it. well he said that
0: they were too they were too caring all they yeah they said they were too caring all they wanted was to to love him and to serve Mm. him and that got tiresome after a while which really sort of links straight into why god gave us free Mm, will you know what i mean you can only really have a, a relationship with somebody if they have the option to say no to you at times or to disagree with you at times if they If they're just agreeing with you and and sort of bowing and scraping all the time, it's not Mm. a relationship of equals.
1: This garden of Eden and this kind of malevolent God, I I, I do kind of see where you're coming from with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the second thing I want to point out is that Lindelof uh, said in a podcast interview that Dr. Manhattan is actually quite a boring person. what i mean is his personality is quite boring Mm. you know he's not particularly graced with creativity uh tells him that he has a profound lack of imagination yeah and and we do see that here because when given the chance to create an entirely new world one that has the potential to be utterly idyllic essentially his own utopia the first thing he does is pick a memory from his childhood and just populate it over and over again with two people who were nice to him
1: so hang on you're saying that like a a perfect idyllic world is not north wales
0: (laughs) no no i mean i mean that is demonstrably true in so many ways but what i'm saying is that he's just kind of done like command c command v for humanity and he's just kind of copied (laughs) and pasted all over and over yeah i mean
1: down to the people because the two people are based on that the couple that the were couple he to meets him. as a as a yeah. child.
0: Yeah. And I found that absolutely fascinating because what you saw in that, when you when you like the negative image, if you like, of that is when we look at the world that we live in as it is, if we viewed it through the lens of it being created by a higher being that I'm gonna call God, then I think we can see just how creative and imaginative that higher being must be, mm. you know? God as seen through his works is like infinitely diverse complex and gratifying I mean yes we could all just look exactly like each other have no real personality to speak of but I think we can see how not only not only how dull but dangerous that could be Mm. the thing I love about this is that God is basically a nerd you know (laughs) he's like look I created this thing and do you see how it works and I've got all these different species to it and it's this one does this and this has this variation it's the heart of a really passionate creator who is just desperate to show off everything he's created mm. do you know what i mean
1: yeah um and i think it's you know that oh because obviously they're trying to make a kind of garden of eden parallel mm-hmm. but i think you're you're right in the with dr manhattan like with god do you, do you know the phrase ex nihilo so god creates things out of nothing but yeah. I mean, Doctor Manhattan. I suppose can he can he actually create matter, um, or is he just rearranging it? But but either way, you're right. Like because he's he is just cutting and pasting from stuff that he's already seen. In Genesis, it does say that humans are created in God's image, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Like Doctor Manhattan is technically human, and he creates some humans. Um. So yeah, but he doesn't create
0: them in his own image. Though, no, does that's he? true. Cause they're not blue. You know, <laughs> I, I'd have to say probably in terms of narrative conceits dr manhattan probably has to be the biggest narrative conceit of all the literature where somebody has an accident at like a nuclear testing facility and they become a god mm. you know like turning green and getting really strong i could believe you know getting the proportionate strength of a raid of a spider yeah, I can get that. But being able to transport yourself to a moon of Jupiter and just create something out of nothing, like, okay, taking a lot on faith here, but okay, you know?
1: Yeah. With, with Dr. Manhattan, he does love, like, because in the original comic... That's why he leaves Earth. It's like he gets mm. his heart broken. And I think he does. he's not very demonstrative in that love, but he does feel it. And if you look in the Watchmen TV series, he mm. has everything that he does with, oh, what's her name? Angela. Thank you. With Angela, yeah, it's all about, he loves her, and he falls in love with her, and he falls in love with her as Doctor Manhattan, and then kind of becomes human. Um, yeah. But I think with the differences that his his love is very much focused on just one person at a time. It's a very human love, whereas if we're talking about him as being a god, God's got infinite love for all people. He's om- yeah. I don't think. I think um, Doctor Manhattan is he's omnipresent i guess in he exists in time he's om, um mm-hmm. no omnitemporal i guess we'd say um he's basically omnipotent but i don't think he's omnibenevolent his love is selective he's he doesn't have godlike love he's got human mm. love still um yeah. so there he's not quite the sort of god of classical theism i guess and i think
0: that's fascinating because it shows that, for all the things he can do for all the abilities that he has, he's actually so much closer to human mm. than he is to God. Do you know what i mean yeah I think what's what's interesting is if we look at this this sort of role of of Olympia where um it's this idyllic place where everybody simply agrees with everybody else, and there's no real variation to speak of. Mm that's how a lot of people can sort of see heaven Mm. now obviously the bible is is really light on details when it comes to describing what heaven is actually like so it seems reasonable that people have to try to fill it with their own imagination and i think when we're doing that it's important to also factor in the sheer amount of creativity god will put into it we Mm. we just can't imagine how it would be and as a result when people describe heaven to others it does end up sounding quite dull sometimes <laughs> and i think that is a flaw of the person trying to get that across mm. rather than heaven itself
1: you know and some of the readings i've i've looked at sort of different theories uh, and theologies and stuff is that heaven is essentially just being in god's complete presence and because yeah. god is beyond human understanding with our stupid meat brains like we cannot understand what that's like and hell is therefore just the complete absence of god so like the fire and pitchfork stuff is kind of missing the point it's that's not the torture it's being away from god's presence and i guess you know the physical life that we have when we're alive is a kind of a middle ground i guess
0: yeah 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 i couldn't have said it better myself
1: not bad for an atheist eh?
0: Yeah, uh, just so we're clear, everybody. Nat wanted to make it very, <laughs> very clear to everybody that she's definitely an atheist. I did say that earlier a. on. Don't worry, I'm the token you know, atheist. I don't think they'll kick you out of Atheist Club just for being on my podcast. You know.
1: <laughs> oh damn it! I've got Richard Dawkins on the phone.
0: Oh damn! Got to, Ricky D. I've
1: got I've got to block his number. He keeps pestering me. <laughs> Honestly, he is one of those guys who. Oh, I I kind of agree with what he says but I'm like dude there are better ways to say things if you're trying to convince people to your point of view don't insult them and call them stupid like yeah I teach my year sevens this
0: (laughs) yeah he's um, I think he's he's our secret agent if I'm honest (laughs) you know I think Oh my I, god, he's a Christian
1: I, sleeper agent. <laughs> I
0: think he's a sleeper agent, you know. I think I think he gets he just goes around screaming at people, There is no God. And people who are so offended that they uh that that he's talking to them like that, they actually start to take a country position out of pure spite. Yeah, you know?
1: Exactly. It's the whole, you know, sun in the wind, you know, remember that analogy? Like you try and do you not know that one? The, the, at the risk of going off on a tangent, I'll tell you this you soon as I edit it out, it's a, it's a little parable that I'm, one of my teachers taught me when I was in primary school and it always stuck with me that if you're trying to convince somebody um, to change their mind and uh, embrace your point of view or your way mm-hmm. of life or something like that, um, you want to be like the sun and not the wind. So the parable is a, there's a, a man walking down a road and um, the sun and the wind are up in the sky and the wind says to the sun, Um, I bet you, I'll make you a wager, I can get that man's coat off him. Um, and so the wind blows and blows and blows and blows and every time the wind blows, the man grabs his coat and pulls it to him tighter and tighter and tighter um, and eventually the wind gives up and then the sun goes, okay, now it's my turn and the sun just shines and is hot and warm and sunny and eventually the man takes his coat off by himself um, and I always take that parable, that little story, uh, it's not not a religious one, just a sort of folk, folklore tale, that it's like, if you want people to come to your way of living like if you believe that your way of life whether it's christian atheist whatever is the best way to be then if you attack people if you're like the wind and you just attack people and say you know you're wrong you need to do what i'm doing people will grab onto their beliefs even tighter and they won't want to let go of them because they'll feel under attack but if you just shine if you just live a good life and you you are a walking example of well actually do you know what i this is my particular way of life and look i'm a good person and i am here just shining then people may of their own free will come to your side i don't know if it works but it's always a something that i i have in my mind of like when you're trying to get someone to agree with you if you attack their beliefs they just hold on to them tighter but if you just set a good example of You know, being a good person might be more convincing.
0: I feel you just summed up the entire raison d'etre of my podcast, (laughs) you know. All I'm trying to do is I'm just this one guy looking at all these films going, look, look, there's God here and there's God here. Look, isn't he great? You know, so yeah, that's basically what I'm doing.
1: But yeah, Richard Dawkins, he is too much wind, not enough sun.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to talk about is the eighth episode, uh, A God Walks Into A Bar, which is brilliant. Best episode. Um, love that one. It, it really was. And Wibbly the reason wobbly, I timey love this... wimey. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. <laughs> the reason I love this episode so much was it really showed how tricky it can be to have a relationship with a non-linear being. So we have, I'm going to call him Cal. Uh, for this bit, because there's, he has at least three names, I'm going to call him Cal for this, for distinction. He has that brilliant line where he says, "I don't experience the concept of before." <laughs> and there's that brilliant scene after she's she's brought him back, where he's standing on the swimming pool. Mm. And he's saying, I'm going to uh, talk to you, your grandfather. And there's that bit where he's like, I'm talking to him now, relatively speaking. And he says to, to the grandfather, I'm talking to her now, relatively speaking. And there's that moment where she says, how did you know that Judd Crawford was Cyclops? And then there's that bit where, who's Judd Crawford? And he tells him again, uh, he doesn't know who Judd, Judd Crawford is. Hmm he does now mm-hmm. and there's that moment where she's going oh my oh, gosh did i start this am i the, the starting point point?" and this is an absolutely fascinating example of a bootstrap paradox now just quickly do you want to explain what a bootstrap paradox is
1: so it's where you end up with a uh, a closed circle of continuity where it appears that there's no beginning or end And it's called the bootstrap paradox because it's the the phrase, you know, lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yeah,
0: yeah. Pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps is is obviously ridiculous because you would still be pulling yourself up and you are still lifting your own foot in that case, which I love anything which explains a time travel concept and also manages to smash a little bit of capitalism uh, <laughs> thoughts in there because that's, that's brilliant. it actually uh, originates from a uh, something called uh, Munchausen's Trilemma which is this uh, old sort of allegory about Baron Munchausen who is stuck in a, in a swamp and he's trying to pull himself out of the swamp by pulling his own hair <laughs> you know it's like well that, that's obviously impossible to do so yeah you're right it, it's that idea of, of something that's in, an impossible thing to do with a, a a causal loop yeah. if you like you know and i was thinking about examples of jesus doing this in the bible which are quite subtle but they are there so in luke 4 verse 14 jesus has sort of gone back to to galilee he's sort of gone back to his own his own town and then it's a it's a sabbath day so they're at the at the, at the synagogue and i'll read this next bit out to you Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the, synagogue, into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So another translation of that is, as you were hearing that this prophecy came true okay because he's he's quoting isaiah at that point i'll have to look for the for the exact thing now if we're looking at this on a on a surface level or if we were trying to present jesus as some kind of con man we'd simply say that jesus memorized these verses and used them to try to convince people he was a messiah Mm. however if we take the view that jesus actually is the son of god then something much more interesting is happening so if you believe in the trinity then you believe that there's quite a porous nature between God the Father, God the Holy Spirit and God the Son. Mm-hmm. So that's not a distinction that also that comes up in the Old Testament. It's not really something that's talked about in in Judaism. It's only it's sort of it's a very monotheistic kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And as a result there's no kind of distinction made there between who's doing the, the talking you know yeah so when one of the old testament prophets like isaiah says something to the effect of the lord said to me or so saith the lord or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. it's tricky to pin down exactly who is doing the talking at that point Mm. is it god the father is it god the holy spirit or is it jesus and you know is there any real difference Mm. so effectively what i'm asking is when he reads this out Is he basically quoting himself,
1: you know? That's interesting. So if Isaiah is, you know, if the Holy Spirit was talking through Isaiah when Isaiah Mm -hmm. was writing the prophecies and then Jesus, if he isn't like a Dr. Manhattan non-linear being, he is kind of having that conversation in the past with Isaiah at the same time? Uh (laughs) <laughs> maybe
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of where i'm going with this yeah, is he see, saying yeah. this to isaiah anticipating the moment where he is going to be at the synagogue mm. teaching to people that's what i always found fascinating that that concept you know
1: yeah no i mean if god, um, god is a an omnitemporal being and exists in all places at all times then mm-hmm. yeah he's he he would be simultaneously with isaiah or isaiah uh, and in the synagogue at the same time.
0: And I, I love that. <laughs> and there's another interesting example, not showing the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, like this one, but showing the connection between the New Testament and all the centuries of Christendom that have come since, including today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, touched on by one of the speakers we had at church recently, called uh, a fellow called Duncan Fairbanks. I'll let him explain it.
2: And you've got to understand at this point, Jesus has been hung on a cross. And now Jesus was back and alive with holes in his hands, talking to them. And he says to them, of course, of course you believe. Because of what you see. Because of what you hear. You can see the holes. Look, sunshine all the way through. You can see it. But then he says something that isn't for the benefit of his disciples 2,000 years ago. But it's meant for you because you've seen me you've believed of course you do but he says look blessed are those who have not seen and you still believe so that
0: last line there that last that last verse verse 29 then jesus told me because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed on a surface level it could be him saying course you flip and believe me you like hmm. you can see the hole in my hands. you can see the the sort of the, the thing my side you, you know you believing that i'm the son of god isn't that big a deal but also it, to me it is much more powerful to think of it in terms of jesus knows that somebody is going to write this down, that John is going to, is going to mm. write this down and that this piece of information is going to be relayed to me 2,000 years later and to, and to all the sort of Christians since. It's one of those moments where somebody is speaking. Do you, do you ever have that thing where a character is speaking to another character in a play or a film or something mm. and you're thinking, wait, hang on, that's actually a direct message for the audience? Mm. Yeah. Like this is practically a moment where Jesus is more or less turns to the camera and says, "Blessed are those <laughs> who have not seen and yet believed." Jesus breaking That's the fourth guys. wall
1: in the uh breaking the, gospel, the fourth wall. little little yeah. flea bag nod to the camera there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And I I love that, you know. I love the I love the idea that he knows as he's talking to people, he knows that the words are going to echo through the centuries, and and sometimes he's talking not to his primary audience, but actually talking over their heads to the secondary audience. You know, yeah.
1: louder for those in the back. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. There's some some other really fascinating concepts there. Like, like, do you remember the bit where she says, "Well, if you're Doctor Manhattan, just prove it. Can you glow or something?" And he says, "Well, I could do that." but i'd rather not until you agree to go to dinner with me tomorrow night. Mm.
1: Oh, we've all had that chat-up line used on us.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what i found interesting there was cal wanted her to believe in him
2: mm-hmm.
0: rather than know without any doubt that it's that it's him. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, believe I mean, it's... and then you will see.
0: Yeah, that emphasis on, on faith there. You know, the, the other thing I found yeah. obviously fascinating and a, another sort of key parallel, in order for Carl to have a relationship with Angela, he needs to, to limit himself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And can you remember how he does that?
1: He has that uh, ring put in his head, doesn't he, that um, Adrian Veidt uh, made for him. And it kind yeah, of makes that... him forget that he's Doctor Manhattan
0: that kind of little inhibitor sort of put that mm. sort of put into his head and and the idea that that was designed like 30 years ago and that was plan a and mm. trying to sort of d- make him explode was plan b and all that sort of thing mm. so the idea is that cal has this inhibitor put into his head and it will make him forget who he is and mm. forget what his powers are because we're shown earlier in the episode just how unworkable it is to have a relationship with somebody who knows the entirety of your future together do you know what i mean so similarly jesus as the son of god as as god himself he sort of needs to limit himself you know Mm -hmm. and we know that human beings cannot physically withstand being in the presence of God with their their mm. human bodies, They're, the idea is if you if you actually saw God, you would be it would kill you because it would just be too much. Like Moses sees like a bit of his back, and mm. that ends up with his face absolutely glowing. So it's physically impossible for like God and humans to be in the same space at the same time. So mm. what Jesus does is he makes himself human. Mm-hmm. We are we're drifting very much into Gilesian headcanon here because <laughs> I like the idea from Dogma that I was just going to mention that <laughs> that Jesus doesn't actually know that he's the Messiah. He doesn't actually know mm. that he's the Son of God for his first few years of of being a child because it's too much. Because he's willfully limited himself. He's he, mm. for a for a set period of time he has packed himself into a smaller. Uh, body, a smaller vessel. In the, they talk about it as like, like the tunnel of love. Like there's these ten years that they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I like the idea that Jesus just, for a for a short set period of time, he doesn't know what's going to happen because could he have picked Judas as his disciple as his apostle if he'd known that G- Judas was going to betray him. Mm. You know, I don't think it could be, I don't think he could have done it.
1: It's interesting. You talk about that as being head headcanon. Actually, you kind of, you're mirroring some big theological debate that I actually teach as part of the A-level. Um, oh, thank that... goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, I get
0: worried with head headcanon because the ideas I'm going to get onto are pretty freaking big and I could really do with some backup on them, <laughs> you know?
1: Um, so, have you have you ever heard of the, the phrase, hypostatic union?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, I know what hypostatic <laughs> union is, but why don't you explain it for the listeners, just in case? So,
1: the hypostatic union is um, basically the concept that Jesus is one hundred percent fully human, but at the same time, one hundred percent fully God. So, it's a concept yeah. you're probably familiar with. You just didn't know it had a fancy bit of terminology attached to it. So, yeah. Jesus is one hundred percent God because he is part of the Trinity. Well, he he is God because the Holy Trinity, but he's also, when he's Jesus, he is 100% fully human. So Jesus wasn't just like some spectral figure who looked human. He was human. He slept, he ate, he had emotions, he felt pain and stuff. And that's important because if Jesus didn't feel pain, then his sacrifice on the cross wouldn't really have meant much. Exactly. So um, the question is, if you have this belief that Jesus is 100% fully human and also 100% fully God, what about when he appears to not know things. So, for example, when he's walking through the market and there's a, a, somebody touches his robe, it was a, the woman who was bleeding, I think it was, yeah. touches his robe and he goes, who touched me? So the question is, if he is 100%... God then he's omniscient so he knows who touched him so him asking that question is basically him play acting for the crowds. Um, On the other hand you've kind of got the argument like basically what you were saying that God willingly emptied himself of some of his power when he became Jesus and that is um, a concept called kenosis so this Mm. idea that Jesus willingly when he became human emptied himself of some of his uh, sort of his his abilities if not his godliness he's still 100% a fully god but like willingly limited himself kind of in the yeah. way that dr manhattan does so yeah with dr manhattan he's limited his abilities and his awareness but the idea is with jesus he knows he's the son of god but he is kind of turned down the volume on like the omniscience and stuff like that
0: yeah so the way i imagine it is the human brain is like a five hundred megabyte uh, thumb drive <laughs> and you've got eighteen terabytes of information that needs to go in there. He can't you literally can't fit it all in. Mm. So it Jesus learns about God the way the rest of us learn about God. Jesus learns about things the way the rest of us learn about it by somebody by sort of God talking directly to us, you know? Mm. Um because again you're right he couldn't have all that information put into his head all all the time it would be it would be impossible it'd be exhausting you know yeah and i wonder about this concept of god limiting himself whether it can be spread any wider so you know about calvinism don't you mm-hmm. so calvinism is the idea that It's the number of people that will be saved by God is predetermined. There are some people who are elect. There are some people who aren't. Basically, I'm not a big fan of it because I've never met a Calvinist who doesn't think they're elect. (laughs) You know, so it's like, okay, fine.
1: Calvinism, it's, it's an interesting one because I think on a logical level, it's the denomination that makes the most sense in terms of like pure hard logic. Like, if God is omniscient, He already knows who's going to be saved, um, mm. and so that ma- it makes sense on like a nice logic level. However, it's like where what what is the point then? Um, it
0: is the the Richard Dawkins of Christianity. Yeah, it's do like you know when, what I mean? when
1: STEM people try to do theology. Um, you yeah. end up with Calvinism, um, and it's like where's where's the omnibenevolence? It's like you've 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 made it all nice and neat and tied it up with a, with an nice logical bow, but where's the love?
0: Yeah. So my theory, and this is Gilesian headcanon. Mm. Please take this with a pinch of salt. But I believe, or at least I think, that maybe God has limited Himself in order to have a relationship with humanity. Mm. That for the time that humanity has existed he's decided to not know whether somebody's going to accept him or reject him because if god is love he's not going to be able to create somebody knowing that they could reject him and all the things that would come with that that that's not consistent for me. But also, if he then only created people who he knew was going to love him, that then brings into question issues about free will. Do you know what I mean? Mm. For me, I think that God has deliberately limited himself. There are some beliefs that God can uh, forget things, that he has like a selective memory, that he mm-hmm. can, when you ask for forgiveness of a, of a sin, God will not only forgive you, but he will um forget that that thing ever happened you are completely new in his eyes do you know what i mean
1: no i was just going to say i think it it's something that pops up a lot in um religious studies when we look in, in year 8 i do a module with the kids about you know does god exist and we look at things like omnipotence and omniscience and the paradoxes that that um uh, presents and um this idea that if you limit any of god's characteristics in any way then you make him not god um mm-hmm. so if you take away some of his omniscience and he he you know like you you said in your gilesian head canon that god limits his omniscience so that he doesn't know who's going to be saved and and who isn't there is an alternative way out of that um this idea that well if god knows everything that's going to happen he knows who's going to be saved and who isn't um how does that equate with free will the argument is that just because you know something's going to happen, it doesn't mean you made it happen. So like the analogy is, imagine I'm, you're standing on a hill and you can see uh, a mile away, there's somebody has got their foot stuck on a train track and there's a train coming. You know that person's going to get hit by the train, but you did not make it happen. And so the argument is that God can see everything that's ever going to happen, Um, because he exists at all points at all times, but that doesn't mean he made it happen. I think it's an interesting... Yeah. I don't know if it if it, it holds up to close scrutiny, but it is. it allows God to maintain his omniscience and humans to maintain their free will.
0: Yeah, when you have free will and omniscience and omnipotence, then it really does create a few head scratches. Mm. The way I like to think of it is that God is in a, a three-legged race with humanity. Okay? <laughs> so I imagine... If it came to it, you could probably be a bit quicker than uh, Edith, your your youngest daughter.
1: It depends if if she's like grabbed something she's not supposed to and is legging <laughs> to a bedroom before I can grab her.
0: <laughs> but my my point is that if you took a if you took an adult and strapped their leg to a child, they're not going to be able to run as fast. They will still be able mm. to run, but they won't be able to run as fast. And at any point. You could just take the straps off. You could just untie the thing. But Mm. you're choosing not to. And so you're accepting that limitation upon you in order to run at the same pace as somebody else. Mm. And that's the metaphor that works best for me when it comes to understanding Mm. God. That not only does he love us, not only does he want to do everything for us, And to sort of keep us safe and keep us loved He's also deliberately Lessening himself, deliberately limiting Himself in order that we could Even begin to have a relationship with him yeah. See what I mean?
1: Well, could, could you not just argue? I mean, this is a phrase we tend to use a lot, um, particularly at A-level when we get into the sort of deep theology about Christianity, is that there are many things that are, and there's a hand gesture that goes, divine mystery, you have to kind of like twinkle your fingers in the little rainbow, because you could say, well, God is God. God is so far beyond human understanding that our stupid meat brains can't even comprehend. So somehow that we can't understand God can have that personal relationship with us while at the same time being omniscient and omnitemporal and all these things and God can do it because he's God and we are not God so we shouldn't worry too much about how it happened. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head like don't worry too much about it like have fun thinking about it but don't let it, it get you it stressed out. It
1: be like trying to explain quadratic equations to ants like <laughs> we.
0: It'd be like trying to explain quadratic equations to me <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> i use that as an example because it's been a long long time since i did them and i always remember them being really hard um, <laughs> yeah. fantastic
0: uh that brings us to the end of finding the faith in the film and that brings us to the end of this episode now have you had a good time
1: i have had a wonderful time i i always always love coming onto this show and i think it's been quite interesting coming into this episode cold because i am a planner and i like mm-hmm. to know what i'm going to say and it's kind of been quite scary freewheeling it but i i hope i brought some big knowledge bombs
0: <laughs> well i did realize what i was asking of you by saying you don't need to plan a thing it's totally fine and i think the fact is that even with absolutely nothing prepared you're still absolute dynamite when it comes to the knowledge bombs
1: okay why thank Thank you, but yeah, thank you for inviting me on. I always love coming on this show, and any excuse to talk to Giles, I will jump on that.
0: Awesome source. All right, listeners, if you have been, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week for our Wakanda Forever episode. See you then. Bye. 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 Films hosting created by Giles Goff. That's me. Mixing and editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Fact checking and waffle editing by literally no one. I've gone drunk with the lack of oversight. Got in Film is a desk production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case, write your thoughts down in a blank and send it to us via blank and we'll give it all the care and consideration we gave to writing these credits. Sorry guys, writer's block gets us all sooner or later.